pray for God's blessing on His Word. Heavenly Father, we come to You now. We thank You for the Scriptures that have been given to us. And thank You especially that in Your providence, You have made possible for each one of us to have in our hands the Word of God. We thank You that it guides us and in many ways straightens out our lives that have been lived in crooked and perverse ways. And that by the power of the Gospel of grace, You seek to enable us to live out the truth of Your Word so that we have a blessed life and a life that brings glory and honor and praise to our Savior. And we pray this in His name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Our Bible passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And you'll find those, um, that um, passage on page 978 and 979 of the Pew Bible. I've been going through the book of Ephesians and have come to this section on marriage. And I decided we would stay here for a few weeks and look at some of the threads that Paul draws together in terms of the um, biblical description of marriage. And we looked at God's design of marriage. The first week, last week, we looked at his purpose or uh, purposes for marriage and That was really part one, and today is part two of God's purposes for marriage. A number of years ago, uh, a man that I knew came home from a dinner party with his wife. They were getting ready for bed. She was in the bedroom, he was in the bathroom, and he came running out saying, my gums are numb, my gums are numb. And she didn't understand what he was talking about, and he said, I can't feel my gums, and they went into the bathroom, and... Rather than grabbing the tube of toothpaste, he had grabbed the tube of hemorrhoid cream, which made his gums numb. Now that's a a very crude but memorable way of saying, if you don't use things for their intended purposes, there will be negative consequences. God has specific purposes for marriage. Last week, we saw that his primary earthly purpose is oneness, intimacy between husband and wife, that they would be joined together for the rest of their lives. And today, we're going to see some further purposes of that as well. Let me read here, uh, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. No one really wants to go through a midlife crisis. Uh, That point in life where you've reached what you think is the pinnacle of life and maybe things haven't worked out the way you expected. There's a bit of a disappointment. When you were earlier on in life, you looked forward to the things that were ahead of getting married, of having a a nice home, a a job that brings a secure income, an income level that you would want to have and expect to have, to have 2.5 kids and a dog and a goldfish and white picket fence and for everything to sort of work out well. And for some people, when they get to that point and they actually receive many of the things that they had longed for, they actually recognize that this isn't enough. And that's really the basis of a midlife crisis, isn't it? You begin to realize the thing that I dreamed for really isn't enough. And the problem isn't so much that you dreamt too big, but actually that you dreamt too small. And the same is true in marriage. We can get into marriage and even decades down the road wonder if this is all that there is and have some lingering thought that there ought to be more. And the reality is it's not that you dreamed too small of marriage, but actually you didn't dream large enough. Well, we've been talking about a healthy marriage, not a perfect marriage, but a healthy marriage. And a healthy marriage is one in which both husband and wife realize there's actually more to marriage than any one of them ever dreamed. And Paul touches on this as well. He talks about the purpose of marriage being this companionship, this oneness, this intimate friendship together, being joined together. And it's a glorious purpose for marriage. But actually, there's something even beyond that that's even more glorious. And he gives here the key to seeing the greater purpose of our marriage. And let me tell you three things. The first is this. Marriage is a signpost. Marriage is a signpost. And it's pointing forward to something greater than actual marriage itself. We've seen how... Paul has been referencing Genesis chapter 2 and talking about husband and wife becoming one flesh. And he elaborates on that a bit in verses 29 through 31. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he acknowledges here that there's something something beyond marriage, something that even that we feel about marriage. He says here in verse 32, this, is, this mystery is profound. And sometimes some of us feel that way about marriage, that it's a profound mystery. I don't understand this person, and this person doesn't understand me. But what Paul is talking about here is not the fact that marriage is incomprehensible to us, or that our spouse is beyond understanding and finding out. But the mystery is that this marriage of a husband and a wife together, this oneness, actually reflects the oneness that Jesus has with His bride, 
the church. He goes on here, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, in the New Testament, the word mystery is not used to signify some esoteric knowledge, something hidden that I could never understand. But rather, it's used to talk about how something was previously concealed and now has been revealed. Paul's actually used this terminology earlier on in Ephesians, back in chapter 3. We look here and he speaks of the mystery in verse 9, hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. This mystery that he talks about is the mystery that was once concealed but now revealed that the Gentiles are going to be brought into the church. That non-Jews will be gathered together under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ by salvation through His grace into one worldwide church for Himself. And now He's using mystery in a very similar fashion to say there's something that was once concealed and now it has been revealed. And what is concealed is that this union between a man and a wife joining together in marriage is actually a picture of a greater marriage between the God of the universe and His bride, the church. And so God has woven into creation itself this signpost. It's a signpost pointing to something greater than itself and saying, don't look at me, look further beyond me. Look at what I'm pointing to. And what it's pointing to is that Jesus loves His bride so much that He left His Father, came from glory, and sacrificed Himself so that He could make His church holy for Himself. And so if you're married here today or if you desire to be married, your marriage points to something greater. Something greater than anything in this earthly realm could ever offer you. And so no wonder people feel that midlife crisis when, when marriage hasn't been enough for them. Because marriage was never designed to be enough for them. But it was actually designed to be a signpost pointing to something greater. To complete fulfillment, complete satisfaction in the arms of Jesus. Marriage was made to complete us, but only partially. And actually was made to give us a taste of a greater sense of satisfaction in Jesus that we could never have even without sin in this world. Even before Adam and Eve fell into sin, they were made to be completed by each other, but not perfectly. They were made to be perfectly completed by the Lord Almighty. And marriage points us further than that. And so, all the yearning that we have in marriage... Yearning for oneness, yearning for friendship, yearning for companionship, yearning for safety, yearning for acceptance is actually a yearning that God has put in us for Himself. That we would yearn for Jesus and be found complete in Him. And so the point of this mystery of marriage is that marriage isn't enough. It wasn't intended to be enough. And actually, you and I are made with a capacity and a desire for more than that this life can offer us and more that marriage 
could ever be for us. And so what does that mean about how we approach marriage? Well, some people view marriage as nothing. Certainly see that in our culture today. Marriage is a, an agreement that maybe lasts for a period of time, but something that I can get in and out of, really. Because it, isn't, uh, it doesn't really mean much more than my own personal satisfaction and happiness. So that if there's no real commitment level, I can get out of it any time that I want. And when I'm no longer fulfilled, I can hit the escape hatch. So some people view marriage as nothing. And when you see people sort of bouncing from relationship to relationship to relationship, it's actually an indication, it should be an indication to them that what they're looking for is something that cannot be fulfilled in any earthly relationship that they'll ever have. But really what they're looking for is something beyond this earth. That it's God Himself. Well, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have people who view marriage as everything. They have sort of a short-sightedness in regard to marriage. They want their spouse to be everything for them. To fill them up in every way. And this kind of person is the one who puts so much pressure so much weight upon their spouse to be their fulfillment that they actually end up crushing their marriage because they're trying to draw too much from it. Marriage is not an end in itself. And you see people in life trying to make things in creation an end in themselves, right? This is the heart of idolatry. That I will find something in the creation And it will give me worth. It will give me value. It will give me satisfaction. And I will lean on it and put pressure upon it until it does. And ultimately, it will be crushed under your weight. Because nothing in this world could ever be the end that you're looking for. Only Christ can be that end. Well, the proper view of marriage is really to see it as a signpost as we've been talking about pointing to Jesus that it's simply a foretaste of the glory that's to come. That it actually ought to make us yearn for a greater level of intimacy with Christ. For a glory that we do not have yet in this life. For something beyond what we experience now. It's a training ground for glory. Marriage is a training ground for glory. And so marriage is not only for the purpose of of a husband and wife being joined together, but your marriage is for the purpose of your spouse growing to know Jesus better. And for you to know Jesus better. Is that the purpose of your marriage? Is that you and your spouse would know Jesus better at the end of your marriage than on the day that you said, I do. That should be the ultimate goal. Because you can never be enough for your spouse. And your spouse can never be enough for you. Remember how we were talking about C.S. Lewis? And how he spoke of friendship, at least in one aspect, is the ability for two people to stand together and look at the same thing. Looking at the same goal. Looking at the same horizon. And this is... The picture of marriage is that two sinners gather together in marriage and they say, we realize we'll never be enough for each other, but there's someone who will be. And so we stand together looking at Jesus and say, now I want you to grow closer to Christ. 
I want you to know him better because he and he alone will be the one who will satisfy your souls. And actually, the healthiest marriages are the ones where husband and wife recognize that they won't be enough and welcome the fact, welcome the fact that your spouse loves someone better than they love you. The healthiest marriages are when a husband realizes he wants his wife to love Jesus better than him. And when a wife realizes, I want my husband to love Jesus better than he does me. Because you see, when both husband and wife are loving Jesus the most, desiring Jesus' glory the most, seeking to be filled up in Jesus the most, well then they're able to turn to each other and love each other well. So the best thing that you can do for your marriage beyond being good friends with one another is actually help each other to know Christ better. And if that's going to take place, then what we need in our marriages is for them to function the way that the Gospel of Jesus Christ functions. Where Christ is constantly pursuing His church Pursuing sinners. And we're constantly pursuing our spouse. Though they sin against us, we're constantly pursuing. Constantly repenting of our sins. Constantly showing mercy and grace. And constantly seeking to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And when that begins to take place, then our marriage looks like the marriage between Christ and his bride. And that brings us to the second point here. This idea of transformation or holiness and living out the gospel. The second purpose here on, on uh, the uh, purpose of marriage is holiness. What God wants to do is make our lives holy. And Paul tells us Jesus' purpose is to make his bride holy. We see here in verses 25 through 27. He exhorts husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus' purpose for his bride is to make her holy without blemish, to make her beautiful and radiant, to remove every spot or stain. In other words, to take away every sin in the lives of his people. And he's using the vehicle of marriage, which is an analogy of the marriage between Christ and His bride. He's using that as a vehicle for husbands and wives to sharpen one another and to be a sanctifying presence in each other's lives. And we see this throughout the Scriptures, the way Jesus sanctifies His bride. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about this washing with water, and some commentators see that as a reference to baptism. Other commentators actually see that as a reference to something called the bridal bath, where brides, before they actually stood up and made their public vows of marriage, would bathe not only to wash themselves physically, but as a ceremonial bathing. In other words, to present themselves pure before their husband. And that's the picture here of what Jesus is doing. So that at the end of time, when He presents His bride to Himself in glory, she will be washed clean 
purified. And what Paul has done is taken from Ephesians chapter 16, where there's this same picture of God washing His people. He says, when I passed by you again, I saw you. And behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. And I clothed you also with embroidery cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. It's a picture of God coming along to His people and washing them clean. And marriage is for the purpose of washing one another. To sanctify each other. To make one another more and more clean. It becomes a powerful instrument in the tools of Jesus' hands so that we would become more and more sanctified, more and more set apart for His purposes. That's why He uses this image of, of the body. That we're one body as husband and wife. That my body's not my own and my wife's body is not her own, but we belong to each other. And the body is there to take care of itself. And I take care of my body, but I also take care of hers, and she takes care of mine. And it's a picture of how we're not only involved in our own personal efforts to be sanctified, but I'm intimately involved in my spouse's efforts to be sanctified. And so we're this sanctifying presence so that we look at our spouse and we love who Jesus is seeking to turn them into. We love who Jesus is seeking to turn them into. And so that means we need a clear picture of what God is actually doing in our spouse. Because it's on our wedding day that we receive not the statue of David that Michelangelo carved, but we receive this block of marble. And over time, God is using your presence in your spouse's life to hammer away, to chisel away, and take away all the rough edges so that one day the whole bride will be presented to Jesus without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So marriage is iron sharpening iron and sometimes sparks fly and you know what that's like. But that's what it is. And we do that through the Gospel and we'll talk more about that but what we want to see now is that we are refining presence in our spouse's life. What does that mean? Well, think about how God has already refined you through your spouse. The sins that have been exposed up until this point. Think about how our personalities begin to change over the course of our lives through our spouse. You know, our personalities are simply our style of relating to the world. Some of us more introverted, some of us more extroverted. Some of us are influencers. Some of us are very compliant. We all have different personality types and styles of relating to people. But every one of us has an incomplete personality. And in fact, in some ways, because of our sin, we allow our personalities to rule us rather than ruling our personalities. And so we go into situations in life that actually require us, maybe to be forceful at this particular time, but I'm the retiring personality type. 
And so I don't actually go through with what God is commanding me to do. Because you see, I've let my personality rule me rather than being in charge of my personality. And what my spouse does is actually help me look at the world differently. Helps me look at myself differently. Helps me see that there are things incomplete about me. Things that are sinful about me. Ways in which I've looked at life incorrectly. Because I've viewed life in terms of the way in which I understand things as being normal for all of these years. The way I look at life as normal. The way that I act as normal. Before long you have somebody else in your life who is different than you. And you begin to see things through their eyes. And you realize, maybe I'm not normal after all. Maybe there are flaws in my personality after all. Maybe I have a problem with patience after all. Maybe I'm not so generous as I once thought that I was. Your spouse becomes that iron sharpening iron because you're rubbing against somebody who's different than you. And God is using that to chisel on you. And Sometimes there's great pressure in it and great hardship. But you have to see that what He is doing is working glory into your life. And working glory into your spouse's life. So we have to see our spouse that way. And recognize there's something bigger here than my own personal satisfaction. But glory is taking place. Now, before we move on to the third thing, let me say this. Sometimes we can resist this. Simply because we're resistant to change, we're hard-hearted, we don't want to do things differently. Other times we're resistant to it because we don't want our spouse that involved in our lives. At least not that particular area of our lives. Sure, you're welcome over here, but don't touch that one. I can handle it. I'm fine. You're not fine, and you can't handle it. It's why God gave you a spouse to begin with. God gave you a spouse, in part, so that at those areas of your life that you thought were fine, those areas of your life that you thought you could handle, are now accessible to your spouse so that that person can be that iron sharpening iron so that you can be made more and more into the image of Jesus as is God's purpose one other challenge here and it's not only that we're hard-hearted or we don't want our spouse involved but it's that we don't look to Jesus for change but instead we look to the law and we look to rules It's very easy when we find ourselves in difficult positions in marriage to say, what are the rules? Now you follow your rules and I'll follow my rules and everything will be okay. Outside the grace of Jesus, rules will get you nothing. Rules, in fact, will only get you a spouse that is bitter at you because you've tried so hard to tell them to enforce the rules. What we need is actually the grace of the gospel to come into our lives, flood into our lives, and flood into our marriages so that we're treating each one with that same grace and showing mercy. Well, let me finally say one last purpose of marriage, and that is this, and it's really not on the surface of this text, but we'll see how it plays out, and that's the building of Christ's kingdom. The building of Christ's kingdom. Jesus presents the church to himself here as holy. Now the basic meaning of the word holy is set apart, 
set apart for the purposes of God. And what Jesus is doing by not only joining us to Himself, sanctifying us so that we become more like Christ, but He's preparing us for a holy life set apart for His purposes. And what were those purposes to begin with? It was to rule and subdue the earth. It was to multiply and fill it so that there's more people who are worshiping God and ruling and subduing the earth. And what God did when He saw that Adam was alone and He said it's not good that he is alone, He made a helper fit for him. Or literally, as we saw last week, someone who is according to the opposite of him. Someone fits together with him. Why? Not only so that they could become one, intimate with, with each other, but He made Eve to help Adam with a task. And it's the task of building the kingdom. Ruling and subduing the earth. Multiplying and fill it. Adam couldn't do that without Eve. Adam needed Eve. And so as you think about your own marriage, or you think about your marriage one day, it's not only to point you towards Jesus, it's not only to sanctify you into Jesus' image, but it's also there so that you can serve Jesus together. So that you now stand side by side looking at the world and say, how are we going to build the kingdom together? Now you go through different seasons of that and sometimes, maybe especially when you have young children or when a job is stressful, it seems like you're just able to barely keep your head afloat. And you wonder, are we really doing anything good for the kingdom? But there's different seasons of life. We need to recognize that God is using the course of your marriage over however many decades He gives to you to do kingdom work. And sometimes it's merely investing in your children. That's the way you're building the kingdom. Sometimes it may actually be building a job and doing so with integrity the way Jesus would do it. At other times, and maybe even later on in your marriage when your children are out of the house, there are new seasons for serving the Lord. I got an email a number of weeks ago from a friend. All of his children are out of the home. This man was educated as an engineer, worked as an engineer for a number of years, decided he wanted to go back to med school because he thought he wanted to be a doctor. Became a cardiologist. And he worked for years as a cardiologist until he realized, I think the Lord is calling me into ministry. And so he went back to seminary and he got a master's of divinity degree in seminary and became an ordained minister. And now that his children are out of the house, I got an email saying, my wife and I have felt that the Lord is leading us into international missions, and so we're going to Africa. And we're going to commit for the next few years of serving in South Sudan. And you may know what's going on in South Sudan. But there are tens of thousands of people that are unreached, never heard of Jesus, never heard of the Bible. And they want to go there and do medical mission work, church planting, and personal evangelism. That may be you one day. I don't know. The season in which you're in now, you may think, I'm not really accomplishing much. It doesn't seem like God is doing much through us because we're barely able to keep our nose above water. But there are seasons He takes you through. But whatever season you're in, you have to ask the question, and maybe let me encourage you to sit down with your spouse over the next week and do this. Look each other in the eye and say, how are we going to build the kingdom together? 
How's our family going to build the kingdom together? Because then you see, marriage takes on a whole greater purpose than simply filling each other's needs. Because then it's about pointing each other to Christ and becoming like Him and serving Him in His grand cosmic purpose to redeem the world. You don't want to be that person who goes through the midlife crisis because they realize this world's not enough, marriage is not enough, my job's not enough. Because there is actually something greater waiting for you. And God invites us to embrace His Son and to live for Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we turn to You now and pray that as we look at our own marriages and even our hopes for marriage one day, that You would give us a clear sense of the greatness and the glory of what You're calling us to so that we would live not only for ourselves, but for the glory of our Lord Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.